0: What is up, fam? How is it going? Hope you're doing great. Wherever this podcast finds you, welcome to the Pillars Podcast. I am Dylan Bowman, your loving host, and this week we're talking to another rising star in the great sport of trail running. In keeping with our recent theme, today's guest is Darren Thomas, the young and supremely talented trail runner from Reno, Nevada, who has been on an absolute tear recently and who in my mind has the potential to be one of the best athletes in the world in this emerging generation of great, great young runners. And I just think so highly of this kid as you will hear in our conversation. Seriously, if I worked for a brand in the sport right now and we're starting a team from scratch, Darren would seriously be the first athlete that I would recruit. I have gotten to know Darren a bit over the last few years and as talented as he is as a runner, as an athlete, he is also a really humble, hardworking, likable guy who embodies and I think respects the deeper values of the sport of trail running. I really think this kid is the next generation, especially when it comes to American trail and ultra runners. So I think you guys will really enjoy getting to know him here in this podcast. In our conversation, we talk all about Darren's background. His early introduction to the sport in college, his attempt at the Barkley Marathons when he was only 20 years old, his evolution as an athlete, some of his recent amazing accomplishments, and of course, finish by talking about what he has planned for himself in the future. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one and grow to be Big fans of this kid, as I have over the last couple of years. And if you are a trail runner needing some guidance or some support or even just some friendships or some general insights and inspiration in your journey in this wonderful sport, I will remind you that you can subscribe to the Pillars Training app where for only $10 a month, you can take advantage of all the training plans and training content that we have produced over there. You can join our weekly community Zoom calls and generally just get a little bit more support and inspiration for your own goals in trail running. We are actually filming a lot of new strength and mobility and core exercises this week. We're about to upload a whole mindset module led by Danielle Snyder. And we have lots, tons of other exciting things in the works. So we would really love to have you along for the ride. Go check us out in the iOS or Android app stores if you haven't already. We would love to have you part of our community. Okay, on with the episode. Please welcome Mr. Darren Thomas. Darren Thomas, what's up, bro? Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm a longtime <laughs> listener, so this is really cool to be on here. Yeah, I appreciate it,
0: man. And I am a, a big fan of yours. Everybody who uh, I talk to in the sport, I uh, make a point when I'm discussing the future and the rising stars and those who have potential to be future world dominators, you're at the top of the list. And uh, that's why I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. It's kind of been a running theme recently. It's just like a lot of new up-and-coming athletes. And uh, you're very much part of that category as well. So uh, it'll be really fun to sort of tell your story. And I think your name is somewhat new to a lot of people. Uh, you've done a lot of great things in the sport. You're still young, but you've been in the sport for a long time. And there's a fun history that we can trace from you know back in your college days till now. But I think, uh, it's best to start a little bit earlier than that. So I guess, uh, tell people a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, your childhood, your introduction to running and just sort of sketch the arc of your life to this point.
1: Yeah. Well, first off, thanks for saying that. That means a lot. Um, I feel like for me at least, and a lot of other athletes who kind of have, uh, what's that called? Um, where you're, you don't really feel like you deserve like imposter syndrome. But imposter syndrome. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, like I've definitely have struggled with that. So that means a lot. Um, so yeah, let's get into it. Um, I started running when I was a little kid in like elementary school, kind of for other sports, for soccer, for basketball, for baseball, not a lot of running in that, but um, <laughs> I, I lucked out. I I mean, I grew up in Colorado Springs, which is like a Mecca for running. Um, right next to a lot of trails. And my elementary school PE teacher, she was in the Olympics for the marathon for Australia. Mm. So she had us run a lot. And I kind of fell into it right away. Um, That that was amazing. Like, it gave me something. You know, when you're a little kid, and you just want to have something. Yeah. And try to be like, better than the other kids. Yeah. So that's how I got started. And just cross country track, the normal kind of trajectory. Um, my, my parents did a lot of hiking, backpacking, that kind of thing. So it was more, it was more like starting on trails right away mm-hmm. and being out, out in the nature in Colorado in the mountains, Did yeah. a lot of 14 or hiking and that kind of thing.
0: So talk and about our, that. Your, your parents instilled that love of the outdoors in you.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, we all—they're from Florida originally. They're the only ones in our family who left Florida, and I'm super grateful for that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be a vastly different person if if they stayed in Florida. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, so I'm really grateful for them. Like, we we grew up skiing, we grew up hiking, we had a dog, we went hiking all the time. Yeah. And I remember this one time. It was actually Handy's Peak. It was on the Hard Rock course. Yeah. I, I hiked it with my brothers and I had just been running cross country and it was a total disconnect between running and mountains. Uh-huh. And and we were hiking, I get like pretty fast up to the top and this guy at the top goes, are you guys runners? Like you're hiking so strong. And I was like, oh, like running actually helps in the mountains.
0: Yeah. So that was my
1: first connection.
0: How old were you that. at this point? You're just a little kid? This was
1: probably middle school, yeah.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, yeah, no surprise where you've ended up at this point. Yeah. It's fascinating, yeah. man. And I think for a lot of people, Colorado Springs, isn't a town that comes to mind when you start to think about trail and mountain running, uh, hotspots, but it is such a great place for trail running. And especially because just down the road is Boulder, Colorado, which everybody knows has a Vibrant trail and ultra running community, and where a lot of like pro athletes train. Man, that Pikes Peak area in Colorado Springs is such a great place. And obviously, like Zach Miller lived there for a while. Jared Hazen lived there for a while. You don't live there anymore, but and uh, Jason Coop lives there too. And yeah, yeah. Alex Nichols lives there. Joe Alex Gray Nichols lives there, right? Right. Yeah. So yeah. it's yeah, like a sleeper yeah, just a community of great, great runners who are either from there like yourself or who have made it their, their training grounds recently. And you've had a long history also with the Pikes Peak marathon and ascent and just sort of like digging through your history in the sport. It seems like you did the ascent for the first time when you were 16 years old. So is that part of your initial evolution, like how, how did that end up on your radar at that age? Was it your parents who sort of introduced you to the event and, uh, you know, sort of sketch how that race has been so important in your development as an athlete?
1: Yeah. Um, we used to go volunteer up at Bob's road. It's, it's like the one before bar camp. Uh, so we used to volunteer every year for the marathon And then my mom did the ascent one year and it was a crazy weather year. Like they had to turn around that a frame. So she ended up doing pretty much the whole marathon, but she never finished the ascent. And it's a funny story. I went up, I did the ascent during high school and I didn't tell my coach or anything. And so, and it would mess with my eligibility. (laughs) Oh, really? He got pissed. I didn't tell anyone. And then, I I don't know exactly what happened with that but it ended <laughs> up being fine.
0: <laughs> I'm sure the statute of limitations is run out so we can talk <laughs> about it here without incriminating you or having you uh having your historical resor- results uh, from your high school track and cross country yeah.
1: career being <laughs> invalidated. Go ahead. Yeah. Um so that was in high school. And that was just kind of like a fun challenge kind of thing. You know, you see Pike speak every day from the house and Mm -hmm. I had been hiking on it a lot. And it's just the thing you do. Mm -hmm. Um, since then I've had a lot of friends do the ascent and marathon. Yeah. Um, yeah. So basically I did high school and track and cross country or track and cross country in high school. And then started in college, I went to Virginia tech to do engineering so i went out to the east coast and i tried to walk on the team and i walked on the team very briefly and i was like one of the last guys on the team it was just it's acc division 1 like yeah 120 miles a week tons of workouts it just seemed super unsustainable and i kind of burnt myself out pretty quick so i lasted i think like 3 or 4 weeks yeah and then i quit <laughs> um
0: yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll pick, pick up there because this is such a fun part of your story because like you, you had this history as a track cross country runner, but had this lifelong outdoor passion instilled in you by your parents. You did a lot of hiking and backpacking. You did the Pikes Peak Ascent when you were 16 years old. So pick up there what happened at Virginia Tech because it's it's such a fun,
1: I think, part of your story and very unique uh, yeah. So like I said, I quit and then basically quit running for a whole year mm-hmm. and just did the college thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Then, yeah uh, met some people on the triathlon club, did a couple triathlons. And then some of the people on that club actually started a trail and ultra running club at Virginia Tech. And it's one of our mutual friends, Rudy. Yes. he Yeah. He was the head of that along with a couple other guys so started just doing that the eighth a- the Appalachian Trail was right next to campus um, Blacksburg Virginia Blacksburg yeah. Virginia yeah. yeah out in the boonies yeah yeah and it was just a super fun time like long runs on the AAT every weekend camping We're, we we had Pandapus Pond which is like a it's an awesome local trail system right from campus so I remember our group runs were kind of crazy. We did them at night, and with like headlamps up and down these mountains, and I was just like, this is the coolest thing. <laughs> and yeah, and I just got hooked. I went and crewed Rudy at, at Hellgate 100K, mm-hmm. at like basically right when I met those guys. And That's,
0: that's also in Virginia, isn't it?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and it starts at midnight, and it's just a super special event. So you just party all night and crew is so fun. Uh, <laughs> so I just fell so, into it. Yeah.
0: So like what disillusioned you so much from the division one athletics and, and sort of what did you find
1: as part of this trail and ultra team that spoke to you so much? Ooh, good question. Um, well, first I started getting injured cause I'm, I never, I wasn't really grateful. My high school coach, we only ran like 40, 50 miles a week. Mm -hmm. And he really instilled like the love of running into us. We had awesome places to run. And first off, I was getting injured. Second off, we were running basically just flat on the road, on the bike path while we're looking at Mm -hmm. mountains. And third, there's a lot of the culture was, there's like a lot of eating disorders on the team. Mm -hmm. And I know, a lot of people in the sport right now, especially females, talk about this. Uh, I've I've heard your podcast with Keely Henninger. And, yep. like, female college sports just seem like a breeding ground for that kind of thing. But yeah. in my experience, males have it the same way. We just don't talk about it. So, mm. um, yeah, I struggled with food for a little while. And Did you? I just, yeah. No, mm. I, nothing... Nothing like, I wouldn't call it like full-blown anorexia or anything, but just, just thinking about- conscious
0: about your weight to an unhealthy yeah, degree. Like
1: avoiding desserts because I thought it would make me slow and that uh, kind of thing. Mm. And
0: Have you always you- had like a competitive streak to you to where like performance is number one priority?
1: Um, I think I've actually had a pretty healthy relationship with the sport, just be, just because my parents and my family and where I'm from instilled more of like an experiential based approach, like enjoy the mountains. Um, but yes, I'm very competitive. So (laughs) I think that
0: I'm just curious because I feel like I, as somebody who's never struggled with anything like that, in fact, when I was in college playing lacrosse, it was, more important to put weight on, you know, and that was something that I never, never really did or took seriously either. And it feels like if it is something that you deal with or struggle with, and the problem is born from a desire to be better, it feels like then the core. Not problem, but the poor character trait that you might have is
1: a deep competitiveness or desire to be the best, right? Yeah, I think that's part of it. And I, Mike, the coach there, I'm not gonna like he never told me like you know what's going on with Oregon right now. Yeah, so like he never told me like to lose weight or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just it's something that gets in your head, and I didn't. I I'm glad I noticed that kind of trend and just felt like it wasn't the right path I wanted to go on. Division 1 athletics are are really cool because it's like a core group of people that you really bond with. You spend so much time together. Yeah. It's really amazing and
0: including like meal times and stuff and so even yeah. though if the coach isn't telling you not to eat, there's almost like a a team-based pressure probably to limit or restrict your, your calories, just because yeah. you're, you're with and so many other people who might be struggling with the same thing. If you thing. look
1: at pictures of me when I was that young, like, I feel like I'm relatively skinny now. <laughs> like <laughs> I know? was so skinny. Really? It was ridiculous. Mm. So there's no reason to do that we're running more than I run now. Yeah. You know, and yeah. So I, I got out of there and I'm glad I did. Cause most people I know from college, from high school, from other people who ran in college, don't run anymore. Wow. At all. Huh? Well, so
0: yeah, pick up there because then you get connected with the triathlon club. But more interestingly, at least for this show and the the audience is this trail and ultra running club at Virginia tech, it birthed a monster in Darren Thomas. And it was
1: so awesome. yeah, Yeah. So,
0: so talk about it because I think, you know, this is one of the things that I love so much. I mean, it's our tagline for our business. It's trail culture, man. And you you talk about it and how it's different from that track and cross-country culture, you know. And obviously there's a lot of positive things that come from that for a lot of people, but clearly, you know, is the trail culture that that brought you in. And of course, you had the history being a Coloradan, a backpacker, a peak bagger, and a runner from a young age. So it was easy for you to sort of slide into that community as well. Talk about just, yeah, just what value it brought to you, but also I'm curious about the culture, the vibe around it, right? Like with this, the social aspect of it, cause you're still in college too. So, and then of course, like, I'm also interested in the competitive nature, right? Like, was this something that you pursued with a similar rigor, a similar intensity that you did with uh, the track and, and cross country running? Um, so yeah, take it wherever you want, but I really want to hear all about the Virginia tech ultra team.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, first try, first of all, triathlons, I did one of them. It was kind of horrible. <laughs> uh, but yeah, going in, it felt like a completely different sport. It was vastly different. Um, just the vibe, the culture in Virginia was really good. You go to races, everyone camps out of the start line, there you have a bonfire and you just hang out in the woods. It felt, it felt more like outdoorsy people, like people that weren't really concerned with performance, but still wanted to push themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a really good transition into trail and ultra running for me. Cause I was still not at the point where I was wanting to be super competitive. I just wanted to try something new and go further than I've ever gone before. Um, So I ran one road marathon, and that's that was the Richmond marathon. I ran like 115 first half and then finished in 345. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
0: Perfect.
1: Just a little positive split there. Just a little one.
0: It's like my race at Um, Grand Raid a couple weeks ago.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that was my first couple ultras. I just I just started right away basically. And it always just was walking the entire second
0: half. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, you were learning, you were learning.
1: Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so it just, the community was amazing at Virginia Tech and also at all the races we did. Do You know who David Horton is? Yep. Yep. Yeah. He was the race director for most of the races out there. And those are the races that just everyone in the state went to. So you got to see the same people every time. Um, Really well put on. Really cool courses. Like Virginia has some real mountains. They're technical, rocky, rooty, steep. And I just loved it. Um, Yeah. What was the
0: social aspect like for you guys? Did you all kind of hang out together and and party together? I'm just thinking back to my collegiate athletic days. It's like, that was the funnest part, you know?
1: Yeah. And that's the biggest thing I've got out of this sport throughout my entire career in the sport is just the people I met. But yeah, in college, it was, we did our long run. We came home and on Saturday, we came home and partied and then we woke (laughs) up and did not like a hangover run on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Back, um,
0: back when that was possible. Wait till you're 35, bro. You can't do yeah. that anymore. It's I can't do bad. that now. <laughs> <laughs> I could until I was about 30 years old. And now yeah. I
1: absolutely useless yeah. basket case I remember, if I have two beers. Yeah. I remember the funnest <laughs> thing was we went on this long run on the Appalachian trail and we, it, the through hikers go through there all the time. Yeah. So we finished up our long run and a thru-hiker came by and was trying to get a ride to Blacksburg to refuel. And we just drove him home and he partied with us on Saturday night. It was awesome. <laughs> so we drove back on Sunday and dropped him off. Trail culture, bro. So fun. That's um, another thing. The Appalachian Trail culture is really cool. Yeah, totally.
0: Hmm. Is that, if we're getting off topic, it's a little bit of a rabbit yeah. hole. Is that something that speaks to you? I mean, is it lifelong outdoorsy? Backpacker type kid now dabbling in trail and ultras is the long trail stuff. Was there anything about the AT that makes you think about the future doing longer stuff like that?
1: Definitely. Yeah. Uh, and we'll get into this later, I'm sure, but I've kind of been focusing on shorter stuff. Yeah. And when I started doing ultras, it was more like the longer, the better. Yeah, just keep doing all this 100 milers longer stuff <laughs> um so i think in the future yeah I'm, i love backpacking still i love camping and now i live in reno which is right close to the pct uh, i didn't get a chance to see uh what's his name the guy who's the
0: olsen yeah tim the mirage
1: yeah, I didn't get a chance to see him out there, but I was following along and that's just amazing. So cool, right? So cool. Cool. Yeah, I do want to talk all
0: about sort of your career arc and the present and the future. So we'll save that for a little bit later. Um, but I think just to kind of bring things full circle about you on a personal level, tell people about what you do now. You just mentioned you you live in Reno. Uh you're in grad school there. So just talk about that part of your life a little bit so we can get a better understanding?
1: Yeah. So I I mentioned I went to Virginia Tech for engineering and I ended up dropping out of engineering and doing geology and chemistry. Uh, it's just more interesting to me. So, and my parents, my family is super scientific, super, my dad's an engineer. Um, so that's just something that was kind of not pushed on me, but it's, it's something that my brothers and I are interested in as yeah. well. So then I moved to Steamboat Springs for three years. I worked at a geochemistry laboratory and then left that and just bounced around. I moved to San Diego for a few months, um, just worked random jobs, moved back to Colorado Springs, worked as a park ranger for a while, and then most recently just moved to Reno, Nevada, and I'm getting my master's degree at. University of Nevada Reno in hydrogeology.
0: And so what's the focus? I mean, what's the, the long term sort of thought
1: behind this master's degree? Good question. I get that all the time. <laughs> uh, it's just something I'm interested in. It's yeah there's a lot of applications for it. There's engineering applications, there's water quality, water management. Um, water availability issues, which across the entire American West is a huge problem. Yeah. So being able to have that just focus, I think I I, I used to want to run full time yeah. and just do that. And now having something to focus on outside of that, I think improves my running and improves my quality of life. And it helps me just use my brain to help the world, hopefully.
0: Totally. Yeah. Well, well, good for you, man. And yeah, I do want to talk a little bit more about kind of what you just said, you know, about how you used to want to be just a pro athlete and about how you have these other interests and it does make you a more well-rounded person. And in a lot of ways, probably a better athlete to be able to balance the two, but I want to go back to just, uh, yeah, your, your history with our sport in particular, and your sort of unique trajectory so far in that you started in college, which is even earlier than me, and I started just right after college. And actually for you, you started even earlier than that, doing the Pikes Peak Ascent when you were 16 uh-huh. years old, but yeah. then sometime there after college, you you actually did attempted the Barkley Marathons. Mm-hmm right? This is part yeah. of your story too. Cause I mean, yeah. you, so you and I went for an awesome run this summer in mammoth where it gave me the opportunity to get to know you a little bit more. And yeah. you sort One of, of told the best me,
1: runs of the summer. That oh, was it was awesome. so
0: good. So good. Yeah. So good. So yeah, I think this is just a fascinating part of your story. You mentioned earlier that at the beginning it was like the longer and the harder, the better. And now at this point in your career, you're doing a lot of sort of the sky running golden trail series type races. And so it's an interesting juxtaposition to how a lot of the younger athletes in the sport have structured their careers, where they start with the shorter, faster stuff and slowly, gradually build up. And I'm sure you'll you'll dabble in the longer stuff in your in the future of your career as well. But it's so funny the barkley of all races, right? When you were like what 20, 21, or 22 years old, just just give us the Barclay I mean, story. I, mean, I, I have to 20. hear yeah,
1: yeah. Um, yeah so. I don't know. They had this Barkley fall classic. It's like a 40 miler in, Bre- in the same state park. And so the, the winner of that race gets to go to the Barkley and they, the first year they did it, a, fr- a couple of friends were going out. So I just decided to try it and I ended up winning and getting an entry to Barkley. And I was, I didn't even really, even really know what it was. Like that was <laughs> the year before that documentary with Gary Robbins came out. Yeah. So I, I didn't really know what it was and I had a friend in Blacksburg who had done it before or tried it before and he just told me all about it. He showed me his map. He showed, he basically just told, he walked me through like his months of training. So I trained with him. I only had like three months to train after that race and my training was just bushwhacking basically. I just did tons of bushwhacking and I this was kind of crazy but I used I like ate a bunch of edibles and went walking (laughs) in the woods (laughs) just to try to like mess with my mind so I
0: could
1: make sure I could know how to navigate so I think that worked pretty well (laughs) wow what an interesting strategy (laughs) yeah and that's when that the beginning of my running career. I mean, I did the Grindstone 100 out in Virginia. Yeah. And it was like the longer, the harder, the better. Yeah. And so this was the ultimate challenge, I guess. And I went there and it was just a mind blowing experience. It was crazy.
0: <laughs> so we'll talk about it. I mean, did you, how many laps did you complete?
1: Did you do? Yeah, I finished two and a half about. Wow. So, yeah. How long, so you go, how
0: long were you out? Like 40 hours, something like that?
1: About 40 hours, yeah.
0: Oh my gosh, as a 20-year-old, yeah. just going out to Barkley and bushwhacking 40 hours.
1: <laughs> yeah, and so that first, the friend that I was mentioning, he did it that year too. So the first lap, I just basically followed him and he, it's, the, it's different every year, the courses, but in general, they know where to go. Yeah, right. So as long as you can stick up with people, you can- kind of see and look around, make sure you know where you're going. But the landmarks there are so it's just thick woods. Right. And I finished the first lap, went out in the second lap in the dark and was, and that's the most, the biggest thing that I learned from this was like the where the mind goes yeah after, after that long. And especially that kind of race where, you're not even really thinking that you're gonna finish. Like when I started, I was like, I'm gonna finish this. Mm-hmm. And then after one lap, I'm like, I'm gonna finish three laps, which is the yeah. fun run. Yeah. And then on the second lap, it was basically, all right, I'm gonna go intentionally as slow as I can so that I'll get timed out and not actually quit. You know? <laughs> yeah. So kind of Mm. making excuses for yourself. Sure. Yeah. And your mind just does that to kind of protect yourself. Yeah. And so I finished the second lap was in rough shape and my crew was, I still had plenty of time. My crew's like, no, we're not, you're going to get out back out there. We're not going to let you quit. Yeah. So I went reverse direction on the third lap all by myself. And I started just hallucinating like crazy because I hadn't slept and that's the only time that's ever happened to me, mm-hmm. hallucinating. Yeah. I remember going down this, this huge hill in the woods, and I saw a playground with like kids playing on it. And I go, oh, I'm going the wrong way. I don't remember that. <laughs> and so I went over the mountain to my left, which was actually the wrong way. And the playground wasn't real. Of course, yeah. Yeah. So I wasted a few hours, and then...
0: God, what a crazy yeah. race.
1: Yeah. <laughs> what, it was a stupid, crazy.
0: <laughs> what a stupid race. Yeah, so how stupid. how does that how did that influence the sort of development trajectory of your career as an athlete? Was it something that inspired you or was it something that was like a little bit traumatizing?
1: Uh, it definitely inspired me. I think it just gave me a window into how many different types of running there is in this sport, which is still something I love about it. Like. Yeah. If you get bored of running hundred milers, you can run really fast for half marathon in the mountains. That's and so vice true. Versa.
0: Yeah. What a great point, man. One of yeah. the things that's just popping into my head, that might be an interesting thread for conversation is your engineering brain and and history, and that sort of maybe genetic influence that it has. And the Barkley, right? It's like the guys who are drawn to that race and girls in a lot of cases. When you think of like Jared Campbell and John Kelly and Brett Maughan, all of whom are finishers and Jared and Brett, multi-time finishers, they're all like engineers, mathematicians, Yeah, you know, sort of like. They're all
1: huge nerds. I think the first, I think uh, besides Nick Holland, I think everyone who's finished has an advanced degree. Really? Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah. I knew, I knew there was like some, some theme there and I think it's fascinating. Do you think that's part of the reason why you were drawn to it at such a young age?
1: Yeah, definitely. Just it's, like the,
0: the the math problem that it presents and the, just the super complex jigsaw puzzle it is to put it together.
1: Yeah. Cause it's not just put your head down and follow the flags. Yeah. It's, it's navigating, knowing how to read a compass, knowing how to eat, drink, um, sleep when you need to, yeah. all that kind of stuff combined. And you, it sounds like you have plenty of time to finish each, each lap, but the laps are so slow that you have to be really efficient. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it was a really big puzzle piece. Wow, That's what I like about running in general. Cause I still think most races are like that.
0: Yeah, totally, totally. So then after the Barkley again, just like having looked and through like all your results and things like that. You did run rabbit run. And it looks like that one was one of those walk the second half Pretty type that. races Pretty as bad. well. That was huh. back in 2017. And since then you've mostly been focusing 50 miles and under with a ton of success. So maybe talk a little bit about how that the progression of your career, like, was it a conscious, thought in your brain of like, you know, maybe I should move away from the deep end of the pool where you started your career with the grindstone and Barkley and run rabbit run and focus more on shorter, faster stuff. Talk about that transition and whether or not, and the thought process behind it.
1: Yeah. Well, like I said, it, it was kind of just a hundred miler is the thing you have to do. You know, that's every year. Most people I knew are like, your goal race is a hundred mile and then you do all these shorter races to prepare for it. Yeah. And so I did that for a while. I did, I was living in steamboat did run rabbit run and that just ruined it for me. Mm-hmm. That was, I walked the last 60 miles. I got, I finished with like blistered sunburns. I I couldn't run. I walked <laughs> through the finishing shoot. I couldn't even run the last like 50 <laughs> meters.
0: <laughs> How embarrassing.
1: <laughs> yeah. Everyone's like, I don't know if you've ever been there, but you can see people. I have. Coming.
0: I, I've done that race back in yeah. 2012. Yeah.
1: You can see people coming for a while Forever, and I yeah. was just walking and they're like, come on, run. And I just couldn't do it. <laughs> and I couldn't eat it up. Like I just felt like, Oh my God, this is un- super unhealthy. Yeah, yeah. And then it took me a solid two months to feel normal again.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And I like racing a lot. I like going to different places and it just seems like focusing on that one big race each year, especially if it probably won't go well, seemed like kind of a waste of time. Yeah. And I I just had been doing better in those races, the shorter races leading up to it. So I just started doing that and it's been great. Yeah. Yeah
0: yeah, it's, it's so funny. Just like the, yeah, the opposite strategy of what most people take. And it's an awesome story. You know, the fact that you tried Barkley when you're 20 years old and to see your sort of personal history going back to when you were a kid in Colorado Springs. And then now to see you absolutely smashing it in the, you know, shorter distance races, but you know, recently up to 50 miles, it seems like is sort of where you've been capping it in the last couple of years. And, you know, where your talent really, I think became really clear to me was at TNF 50 in 2019, the North Face 50 mile championship, rest in peace, one of the greatest races ever, which no longer exists. And you and I ran it the same year, 2019, And you finished second place. You nearly won the damn race. If it was a mile or two longer, you, you probably would have, and you and I knew each other loosely beforehand, but your result there was really when the light bulb went off in my head of like, dude, this kid's got talent. And especially because you absolutely blew past me on the climb up the Dipsy around mile 30 or so. And, uh, admittedly I had a terrible race, but you're, yeah. I mean, you look so freaking strong and I think that's probably where for the diehard fans, like for people who really pay attention to the sport, that's probably where you landed on most people's radar. So maybe just talk a little bit about how that race has impacted your career and your feeling of your own abilities within the sport.
1: Yeah, that was definitely a breakthrough race. And that was kind of, that was the year after run rabbit run. So that was when I started kind of started cutting it down and mm. getting faster again. Um, and I had actually in steamboat after run rabbit run the year after I had appendicitis and my appendix ruptured. I was in the hospital for a few weeks, came out, started running a bunch, trying to get ready for a pike Peak marathon that year and ended up with a stress fracture in my hip just because I I just came from like sitting in a bed for three weeks and then trying to crush it.
0: Yeah.
1: And so I had like three months of just biking and then three months of training for the North Face. And I did a couple of 50Ks to get ready for that. And at that time, I was still at the lab. I didn't have a sponsor or I I was like a Solomon ambassador or something. mm
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I did that race and that was the first time that I felt like, oh shit, like I could actually be really good at this, Yeah, at this kind of thing. Like I had, I ran a ton of local races and done well on specific races that I have done a bunch of times, but that was the first time that, that kind of gave me confidence moving forward.
0: Yeah. So, and I guess one of the other things is just popping into my head is like your natural ability as a climber. Like you are a freaking great climber and I guess we'll get to this in a little bit, but you just absolutely smashed the VK at Broken Arrow. And you know, at Pike's Peak Marathon, I know a couple of times at least you've been the first to the top. And you're you're a fantastic climber. So I mean, maybe talk a little bit about your strengths and weaknesses as you see them now. And if there's anything specific that you think you've done to contribute to your climbing ability specifically.
1: Specifically climbing. It's just really just to climb a lot, do a lot of uphill intervals. Um, luckily I've been in places that have a lot of great uphills to run on a lot of different types of uphills, like long fire roads, really steep stuff. And it's just something I really enjoy. Like I love the burning feeling, And my legs and my lungs well this summer it was like lungs from smoke but (laughs) yeah uphill running just feels good to me and it, it just comes naturally I don't know yeah 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 well uh I
0: was just trying to get a little get a few pointers from you but yeah I mean I totally agree I mean that's such a critical piece of a runner's toolkit and trail and ultras just pure climbing ability and As you said, it is very simple. You just have to run up hills and often run up hills really hard. And actually, that was a turning point, pivotal part of my career is when I started doing uphill intervals on a regular basis under the leadership of Jason Coop, who prescribes those all the time. And a lot of VO2 max type intervals, a lot of more tempo type intervals between 10 and 15 minutes. And then, uh, yeah, you just not only get a lot fitter, but the specific application for a race context, when you're going uphill, it's just like so valuable. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's a big reason why you've been so successful.
1: Yeah. Most races I do, well, I just focus on hilly races, Mm -hmm. mountainous races, but I just like training that way. And most of my workouts are uphill because you can get a really good, your heart rate way up really good workout without that much impact. Yep.
0: A hundred percent. Yeah. Well said, well said.
1: And that's, I don't think my, I think my weakness right now is flat kind of marathon kind of just sustained flat running. Mm -hmm. And that's just because most of my workouts are uphill. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So that's a a give and take, you know, you always got (laughs) to make, make sacrifices. Um, So, you know, back to TNF 50, you said that you were kind of a Solomon ambassador at that point. And I'm sure then after that result, they said, you know what, we should probably enhance our support level of this kid. So, I mean, is that true? Was, was that the point where you sort of signed on in a more official capacity with Solomon?
1: Yep, yeah, that was, what was that, 2018? That was 19, I think. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it was 19, so, yeah. Yeah, so 2020 is when I got signed on. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So
0: moving on from that, I, I also want to talk about Mount marathon this year because you had an absolutely stellar race there too. And I don't think they did the broadcast this year. Like they have in the past. Uh, I could be wrong about that. I didn't watch it if they did, but, uh, I'm curious how it went for you. You finished third place, which is an awesome result, especially as a first timer there. And again, just going back to this theme of like you doing the Barkley when you were 20 and then now doing Mount Marathon when you're 27 or whatever. And Mount Marathon, of course, is like a 5k race. And so it's like the shortest possible mountain yeah. race and you smashed it. So tell the story about that race and maybe whatever you learned from it.
1: Yeah. First off, you've got to go to that race. It's so yeah. awesome. It's so fun. It's it has this whole culture around it. And that's the first time I've been up to Alaska at all. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to go to Alaska. So it was just kind of weird flying up there for a 5k. Yeah. But I got to spend like 10 days and did a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it was amazing. Like Ricky Gates, I think said, that race ruined all other races for him because it was just (laughs) the best kind of race. He put it
0: on the map. He put it on the map. He really did. Mm -hmm.
1: He brought Killian
0: and Emily Forsberg and then got Max King involved. Who's won the race. And I think, uh, Solomon's now a a sponsor of the race itself now. Right?
1: Yeah. And that's how I got a spot. Cause it's really hard to get in. Mm -hmm. You have to apply. It's like a lottery. It's like Western States kind of. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're right, they didn't have the broadcast this year. I think uh, Run Steep Good High made a film for it, but it wasn't live. Um, I'm gonna watch that as soon
0: as we're done talking. Yeah. <laughs> the broadcast, I, I guess, you know, just to interrupt you a little bit, the broadcast they usually do, the race is usually on July 4th in Seward, Alaska, for those who don't know, and it's not a marathon distance race. You just climb and descend, Mount marathon, a marathon or a, a mountain that just stands over the top of Seward, Alaska. And it's uh wildly steep, technical, brutally fast, sometimes carnage, uh, inducing falls and things like that. Uh, so just with that context of how crazy the race is, what was your experience like there? And, uh, Yeah. Like what, what'd you learn from it? And I mean, is it something that you, you plan to sort of build into your calendar often?
1: Yeah. So it's 3000 feet up in a mile and a half, 3000 feet down. And the first half miles on the road. So it's basically 3000 feet in a mile. And (laughs) yeah, it was nuts. It's it's it's,
0: crazy. It's like way steeper than the incline in your hometown in Colorado Springs. It's crazy
1: yeah and this year was super muddy too the first half of the uphill so you're climbing up grabbing onto like briars pulling yourself up because it's so muddy um and i basically just started as hard as i could because it's a 5k and it typically takes people the winner like 45 minutes or so um and so i climbed really well david norris beat me to the top he's the course record holder he's basically unbeatable at that he's an alaskan
0: yeah and he he was like part of the i think u.s national cross-country team or at least part of their development program he's like he's a nordic skier so he's got that he's got that crazy engine but yeah he's also got the the local spirit in him and what a beast that dude is so he beat you to the top too because again you're like this phenom of a climber too. So were you, were you close to him or did he, did he have a gap? Yeah,
1: I think I was, I was probably about 45 seconds, which seems close, but it's it's a big gap in that race. Mm -hmm.
0: Um,
1: And I, I don't think I did enough specific training for that kind of thing because we it's hard. I don't have anything like that, you know, 3000 feet in a mile. You can kind of train on the uphill, just working on power hiking, which most of it is power hiking.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but the downhill was completely new territory for me. So two days before the race, I'm, I was lucky to I did the course to see it. And it was that's definitely something that I'd recommend if anyone does that race, because yeah. it, it saves a lot of time to know where to go. And it's not marked or anything. Mm. Um, so the downhill, I thought I did pretty good. I felt pretty good on the downhill, but these Alaskan guys, like, I don't know if you've seen videos. It's like a screech oh, yeah. for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've just seen the videos. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I
0: watched the broadcast usually every year yeah. and it's just wild. It's like scary. In fact, David Norris, it was just probably four, four or five years ago. Now I was watching the broadcast with Harmony. And this is back when we were in Colorado and David Norris in the lead of the race took just a disgusting (laughs) fall, like a, a violent fall that looked insanely painful. Like it's not something you could just get up and, and keep running running afterwards. And actually Ricky Gates did, one year. Right? Yeah, oh yeah. He he you won the gotta, race. He won the race yeah, after huh? a fall that would have put me in the hospital hundred percent. And it reminds me also a few years before that Ricky Gates fell. I think he finished third place in this race, but he fell not far from the finish and dislocated his shoulder. And it's on video. You see Ricky oh, yeah. Gates take a hard fall, land on his shoulder, get up, put his shoulder back in its socket and keep going. So it's just <laughs> like the wildest race ever.
1: Yeah. Everyone up there is so tough. Yeah. I, I got passed by, I think three people on the lower half of the downhill where it, it goes into this Canyon thing and it was all, it had been raining. So there was little waterfalls uh-huh. and these guys are like jumping off the waterfalls and falling all over the place and just getting up. <laughs> and I, Like I felt like I ran strong on the downhill, but I got passed by three people and then had to pass two of them on the road. On the the road. Huh? So, uh,
0: is this a, is this a race that you feel like you want to go back to?
1: For sure. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. We'll we'll have to see if it fits in the schedule the next few years, but yeah, Yeah. definitely.
0: Well, dude, I was so pumped to see that you finished on the podium there. Third place, your first try at Mount marathon. And I think just another awesome trophy for your shelf for your shelf as you're building your career and showing just your versatility as an athlete and just freaking a man, toughness, competitiveness, climbing ability, technical running ability. And, uh, yeah, finishing on the podium, your first try there at the Mount Marathon is freaking great accomplishment for you. Um, so I guess kind of moving on to another awesome result and this is the last time I saw you just, last month in the newly named Palisades Tahoe for the broken Arrow Sky race. Again, man, so freaking impressed by you there and uh I just want to kind of like open it up. I mean, you raced both the vertical K and the 26k and you won the VK and finished second in the 26k behind Joe Gray, an absolute absolute legend in the sport. And you were only two seconds behind them. So maybe let's start with the VK, where you won by 90 seconds, dominating victory again, showcasing your uphill abilities. And I think was it David Sinclair who is behind you there, who's also yeah, he got fan, second, yeah. an awesome, awesome athlete himself. Um, I guess, uh, yeah. Talk about your experience at, at Broken Arrow and how you see it, sort of. Um, yeah just like in the greater context of your career so far
1: i felt like that was an equal breakthrough to tnf yeah just joe gray is someone that i've looked up to for so long i've raced him a lot in colorado springs and have never even been close yeah like bar trail mountain race all these races in colorado springs um and so finishing that close behind him i know he had some sort of like eye contact thing going on at the end. I don't know Uh, exactly what happened, but I was basically, oh, let's run through the whole, through the whole thing. So the VK was really good. I don't have a lot to say about it besides it was really good.
0: You were just in the lead. You just
1: pinned it and just
0: absolutely smashed it. I mean, and winning by 90 seconds too is a, a big margin.
1: Yeah, and that was just... I mean, I was—I almost blacked out at the top there. Like, I finished. Peter Maximo put a camera on my face, and I—he asked me something, and all I heard was like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> "Just too <laughs> too self. red line to understand yeah, that, words." That was a red line all the way. Yeah. Um, but I met a lot of cool people, saw a lot of people I haven't seen in a few years, and then felt like I recovered enough before Sunday. Cause it was all uphill. It was, it was just basically your lungs that you're using. Yeah. Um, and then the 26 K it, it's, it was super competitive. One of the most competitive races of the year in the U.S. I think. Um, and it just started so fast and I knew it would cause Joe Gray is just, he always starts out in front and everyone tries to chase him and everyone ends up blowing up usually. Uh Um, So I just took it out with him, Eddie Owens and Andy Wacker and me and Joe kind of left everyone on the uphill, but Joe was still kind of getting out of my view, but you can see pretty far. It's, there's not a lot of trees up there. So you can, he didn't look that far away, but once I got to the top, he was kind of out of view. And so I just, I was like okay second is good I'll just push on this downhill I know there's a lot of downhill crushers here so Mm
0: -hmm.
1: just try to stay away and then it from the top there it goes on this dirt road that is extremely fast
0: screaming fast fast. (laughs) on the broadcast it was like you guys looked like you were moving on that section
1: yeah if you look at my Strava I think it's like We were running like a 4.30 pace down that (laughs) hill. It's like a freshly graded dirt road. Perfect. Yeah.
0: Ski hill service road. Yeah.
1: And I was running that fast and that's where Andy Wacker caught me. Mm -hmm. So he was running, I don't know, like 4.15 pace or something. Um, And he caught me right at the bottom before it started this last climb. And I was lucky enough that he started fading a little bit on that climb And I actually saw Joe near the top. So I was like, oh, this can be if if I need to stay away from Andy, I might have to catch Joe. Yeah. So it was a combination of running scared from behind and also trying to catch Joe. So the last downhill is pretty technical, but really switchbacky. And so I could see Joe the whole time, but I couldn't really tell how close he was because of all the switchbacks. Yeah. And then we popped out on the road about half a mile from the finish and he was right there yeah and that this on the first of all that broadcast that you guys did was awesome yeah and corinne it was amazing dude it was so fun it was so fun I think that's gonna be hopefully like the next thing that this sport is gonna have oh yeah if i have anything Um, to say about it it's exactly what it's gonna be yeah and i was just redlining it down the hill to try to catch him and the energy at the finish was amazing. That was going through my head for the whole week afterwards. Everyone was screaming like, let's go, let's go. And he was looking behind him and I was just like blood in my eyes, blood in my mouth. And I finished, he broke the tape like right in front of me. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not, I don't regret, or I don't like feel like I had a bad race cause I didn't win or anything. It was, Dude, back, it was Oh my God. The, you smashed it, it. I could have ran. And I felt amazing. So proud
0: that, Dude. So. And it was like literally a photo finish nearly. I mean, you yeah. were two, two seconds behind him. And for those who haven't watched the live stream, maybe I'll put a link in the show notes here for this episode, but so entertaining, so entertaining. And yeah, we couldn't really so tell, fun. we couldn't really tell how close you guys were until like the bitter end too. And again just like such a great performance Joe Gray again probably the best American mountain yeah, runner legend. of all time aside from Mount, uh, Matt Carpenter another Colorado Springs guy Yeah that's right yeah And uh yeah do you feel that the VK and potential fatigue that may have come from running that on Friday held you back at all or did you feel on top of your game on Sunday too because I, I should so say not. that that Joe Gray did not run
1: the VK. I think right.
0: Andy did. Did Andy Wacker run the VK?
1: And he did. He, he had did. a pretty rough time. Because yeah. um, him and Joe, they both raced the USATF Half Marathon Championship the weekend, the weekend before. before. Yeah. Um, Andy had a pretty rough time on the VK, but he had a really good day. Yeah. On Sunday as well. Yeah.
0: So if you would have done it over again, would you have? you know, not, not done the VK and focus on the 26 K. In other words, no, do you, do I think you I feel do both? Huh? Good.
1: Yeah. I don't think it, I mean, I felt fine the next day. I felt, I felt strong going into it. So.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Man. Well, I guess we're, we're sort of just banging through things chronologically here, but I want to just like briefly touch on the Azores race too, before we kind of start talking about the future and wrapping up. But, uh, so explain this. I mean, it's, so is the golden trail series, national final, uh, on the Azores at Island archipelago. It's a, uh, Portuguese territory, I believe. Fantastic. It looks like a beautiful place and a three day stage race where you made us all very proud and you won the damn race. Um, I guess, talk about, yeah, just like that as sort of a capstone to your season and, again, how it makes you feel about your position within the sport.
1: Yeah. So golden trail national series, it's all very confusing. It's so confusing. (laughs) They got, they have to seriously like clarify
0: some of this stuff, especially, I mean, if people like me don't get it, it's, it's not good, but
1: yeah. So they originally made it because they didn't think a lot of people could travel to these golden trail world series races. Uh, And it was also an opportunity for unsponsored runners or people that couldn't afford to get to Sears and all, for example, Uh. give them an opportunity to race these competitive races in their own countries and then be able to compete in the Golden Trail National Series final. Mm. And then the prize top three Golden Trail National Series in the Azores gets to go gets like travel and expenses to three of the golden trail world series next year. Ah, That's my understanding. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I think they're doing the same thing next year. I, it just needs to be
0: clarified right? a little bit. Yeah.
1: Um, so yeah, I initially wasn't planning on doing it because it was three weeks after broken arrow and I ran broken arrow for broken arrow yeah. So I wasn't... Not to
0: able. qualify for the national final.
1: Yeah. But I ended up winning the national series because Pikes Peak and Broken Arrow were the only ones in the yeah. series.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think David Sinclair got second and then Kieran Ney got third. Okay. Um, so me and Kieran and Janelle Links were the only Americans to go out there. She's the one who won the uh 26k. Yeah. She's a yeah. beast
0: too. I want to get her on the on the
1: show as well. Oh, she yeah. sounds like a really another... cool person too. Cool. Yeah. Um so flew out there and I was initially not going to go because right now is a really busy time in the semester and I didn't have a lot of time to do that. Yeah. But I was able to get some stuff done ahead of time and flew out there basically the day before the race. And the first day I really struggled with the time change. Like this is my first time in Europe. I'd never been to Europe. Really? Yeah. So I got there and like went to bed and slept for two hours. Cause my body thought it was a nap Yeah. and then just toss and turned all night. And then had one day before the first stage. So that, that was a thing I learned. Like I learned a lot from this trip. Uh-huh. Um, so the first day, first stage, it's on three different islands. So the first island was Pico Island, which is Mount Pico. It's the highest point in Portugal, actually. Uh, and it's started from zero and went up to 8,000 feet. So just huge climb. Rad. Yeah. It's like a Pikes Peak, except we're basically running flat through these vineyards and then up through this like super muddy, rocky Cow pasture kind of thing, <laughs> yeah. And then it was fast on dirt roads again. And then the last three k, I think, gained three thousand feet. Wow! On this volcanic rock, just straight up. Um, so I was able to win that one. The first so is day is a pure is a pure uphill stage. you uphill. Cool. Yep. Mm-hmm. But then you had to you finish at the top, and you had to hike back down like an hour <laughs> <laughs> to get down to where you can get a ride. Yeah. Um. So. I've talked about this beforehand, like my plan was just to try to get a lead and then play defense the next couple of days. And that's basically what happened. I had a three minute lead over Juan Carlos Correa. He's a Mexican runner. Who's yeah. just amazing, super Feast. underrated. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously a bunch of other super fast guys met a lot of friends there. Um, yeah. And then, in between each day, it was just focusing hard on recovery, eating yeah. as much as I could, doing foam rolling, and my fiance actually flew out with me, so I was super so grateful. Good. She massaged me every day afterwards <laughs> it was It was amazing
0: <laughs> it was so um, good,
1: yeah, and every day was just as hard as I could, just, basically yeah it was and people rare get they don't slow down when they're tired. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so the second day was net downhill, but still had a ton of climbing, uh, finished, I think fourth or fifth that day, Mm -hmm. but only lost about 30 seconds. Uh Uh-huh. So still in the overall lead. Yep. And then the last day I just was sitting right behind the leaders Uh or the, the guys who were right behind me in the overall ranking. Uh Uh-huh just making sure they didn't get away. And didn't then, get two and a half minutes on you, yeah. Yeah, and that day was hot. A lot of climbing, a lot of mud, a lot of vert, a lot of technical downhills. And Juan Carlos Correa actually, we got to this part, it was a flat trail through the jungle kind of, and there's this tunnel. And we get in there and it's pitch dark. And <laughs> I didn't bring a light, like I didn't know anything about okay. this. And the two Mexican runners who are Ibrahim, um, he finished third overall, I think mm-hmm. in Long Colors Correa, they brought lights and it seemed like they were planning it or something. They knew about it. As soon as we got there, they turned their lights on and took off. And so they built up like a five minute lead. Oh no. <laughs> And, and I was like, Oh, like I have to run as hard as I can to try to break the Cause he only had, I only had three minutes on him. on Juan Carlos and he ended up blowing up kind of near the end and so I passed him finished third that day and I think won by four minutes over this 21 year old kid from Spain he's Dan I think Daniel Hernandez Daniel Hernandez I'll look him up yeah Um, and it was just an amazing experience a lot of really hard running And then I hopped on a plane right after I finished to come (laughs) back. (laughs) Which was the hardest part for sure. Yeah,
0: brutal, man. Well, congratulations, dude. I mean, again, it's just like you're really coming into your own as an athlete. And I think the obvious next step for you, sort of after sort of the TNF and the Mount Marathon and the Broken Arrow is to like get some experience racing in Europe. And usually, you know, you have a harder time making that transition or at least a lot of the American athletes have. And you went over there and you won the damn race and yeah, brought the title home to the USA as did Janelle Lynx, I believe, right, who we just That's mentioned right. winning the women's yeah. the women's race. So, and you also mentioned in your Instagram post afterwards that you were sort of hoping to do a lot more racing in Europe, specifically in the Alps, which of course leads us into this discussion about the future for you. What did you mean by that specifically? Uh, what, what are you thinking about for next year? Are you going to take uh this support from your main sponsor, Solomon, to go take part in the Golden Trail World Series next year?
1: Yeah. Uh I've been wanting to run those races for a long time, regardless of their Golden Trail series status. Mm-hmm. Like Sierra all is a classic, Sagama is a classic. And the, all those distances are just in my wheelhouse and I think that's where I excel. So I definitely want to go run those. I just have to kind of plan it out and try to go over there for a month and run two of them or something. Yeah. Um, so would those be the two that you
0: would target? Would you do the mob marathon or
1: TBD? TBD. Yeah. Sears and all is definitely uh, that's for sure.
0: Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, again, just to bring up Ricky Gates again, I remember him telling me years ago that Sears and all was his favorite race in the world. This is probably before he went and did Mount Marathon for the first time. It's a race that I've always wanted to do totally not in my wheelhouse, but I'd love to love to try that one at some point. And of course Zagama a gamma too is a race where Americans have never done well. So we're counting on you to, uh, yeah, represent us. I think it actually like Stevie Kramer has, you know, on the women's side, well, but I, all I, the I can...
1: women go over and crush in Europe. Right. Of course. <laughs> <just suck.
0: laughs> not in your generation, bro. It's up to you to keep, uh, yeah, keep, moving moving the American contingent forward. So, so let's talk a little bit more about like longer term goals for you. Like what, what motivates you sort of in the medium to long term? And how do you think about your career progressing, say over the next three to five years?
1: Good question. Um, so I actually just got a coach for the first time, like three weeks ago, (laughs) um, John Fitzgerald. He's with CTS. Yeah. He's, I've known him for a while. Just is he a Colorado
0: friend. Springs guy?
1: No, he's from Fort Collins, but okay. he lives in Montana now. Okay. Yeah, um, really great guy, really great coach, and he's helping me with that kind of long term plan because I've always known how to train for a race. You know, four months out, you hammer, you do these workouts, but the big picture is something I've struggled with. Yeah. Um. So I want to do these type of distance races for the next two or three years and probably throw an ultra or two in each year. Uh, it seems like,
0: a, sorry to interrupt, but it seems like actually what some of those, some of the European athletes are doing, just kind of off the top of my head, Thibaut Baronian and Stian both have been focused mostly on the golden trail series and both ran CCC this year. Right. Same with Remy Bonet. He ran OCC. So they're like kind of focusing on the golden trail thing, but then maybe throwing in one ultra.
1: Yeah. And yeah. I, I think that's a plan. I think it's a lot easier to go from shorter distance to longer distance than vice versa. A hundred percent. Yeah. Cause you just add in a few longer runs and you'll be okay. Cause you have yeah. the fitness, but it's really hard for me to do like a bunch of slow running and then, try to run at a, at a really fast race, you know? Yeah. 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 So I think I'm, I'm still trying to figure out the next year or two in terms of racing, but I think having a coach will help me kind of like pump the brakes a little on what I want to do because all the time I'm like, I'm going to do this race and this race and this race. And then I end up injured or burnt out and, Yeah, this, this kind of, I'm like, I like where I am right now. So just keep going with it. So it makes me want to ask a little bit about what
0: motivated you to get a coach, especially at this point in your career, where you are really coming into your own. It strikes me that that is a really mature step to take, you know, it'd be very easy for you to say, What's, what's, what I'm doing is working for me now. I'm really starting to establish myself on the international circuit. Why do I need a coach? So what was it that sort of made you feel like that was going to be a productive use of your time and resources to hire?
1: Yeah, up to this point, it's been entirely intuitive training just based on experience I've had throughout my career. And that's been great, but I also get injured like every year usually at in the beginning of the spring Mm. and that's just overdoing it in the winter or I'm not really sure and I just need someone to show me those blind spots and look at big picture because I'm always focused on the next thing like three months down the road Mm. and I can't really see much farther down from that in most areas in my life really Mm. so having a big picture having someone well, he said his biggest job is going to be like making me run slower on easy days and stuff like that, yeah. which is what I really need. Just yeah. an extra set of eyes. And I think that I'm hoping that will just take me to another level.
0: Yeah. Well, if it does, uh, we should all be frightened because, man, yeah. again, I've been, uh, yeah, just like an increasingly big fan of yours. And I really just feel that the future is so bright. The sky is the limit that you really do represent the future of American trail and ultra running. Do you feel that, you know, potentially, are you motivated still by like the hundred milers and the Barclays and things like that? I know you said the next couple of years, at least you're going to focus on what feels more in your wheelhouse, but I I'd I'd love to know sort of where your long-term motivation is.
1: Yeah, every time I go to a hundred miler, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna go do this again. Like Western States this last year, I paced Kyle Pitari. Yeah. Someone another person who I look up to a lot. Yeah. He did really well. He got seventh, I think. Yeah. And it's it's just a great vibe. It's great culture. And then I think about it and I'm like, you know, that's in June. I'll just my summer will be ruined after that. (laughs) Yeah. Um and I think I'm just not that great at that.
0: Uh-huh.
1: That's TBD. I haven't done one in a long time. Um yeah. I do I I'm gonna do 100-milers eventually yeah. again, but I think 50 miles and less is really what I like. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, yeah, dude. Do what uh do what feels good, do what motivates you,
0: and that's going to change as you mature as you age, as your career develops. And as long as you kind of follow that instinct, you'll be well-served and I'm sure you'll be super successful.
1: Yeah. That's what I love about this sport is that as soon as you get tired of something, you just jump to the other distance. There's so much to do. Yeah. (laughs) Like you said earlier. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not really interested in like track one hundreds and stuff. Yeah. Who knows? I might be. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, Darren, man, again, super happy to have you on the show. It's always great to connect. Uh, can't wait to continue to follow your career. Good luck with, uh, with school and, uh, hope you enjoy the rest of 2021 and, uh, can't wait to watch you watch you do in 2022.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing you at some races too.
0: All right, bro. Thanks
1: so much. All right. Thanks.
0: Okay, that's it. What did you guys think? I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. I hope you'll go give Darren a follow over on Instagram if you don't already. So you can follow his journey to the top of the sport. I have a link to his profile in the show notes. So go click through and smash that follow button. Send him a DM if you enjoyed the episode. I also link to recordings of the live stream coverage from the Broken Arrow Sky Race, where Darren won the vertical kilometer and finished second in a nail biter in the 26K, only two seconds behind mountain running legend, Joe Gray. Of course, we talked all about that in the episode. So if you're keen, if you miss the Broken Arrow Sky Race and you wanna go watch those recordings and see Darren's talent, Firsthand, go find those links in the show notes as well. And of course, if you do enjoy the show, we would really appreciate your support over on Patreon. I have a link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, We would also really appreciate it if you would leave us a review in Apple Podcasts. If you're listening to this show right now on Apple Podcasts, I would ask you to please take 30 seconds of your time and leave us a nice review on this great platform that provides great audio. Both of those things, both Patreon and those Apple podcast reviews really are very simple ways to support the show if you find our hard work valuable. And we would be forever grateful if you would give us a hand. Okay, that is it for now. We have a few huge announcements coming over the next couple of months. Just a little bit of a tease, lots of exciting things happening behind the scenes right now. Can't wait to share them with you. I'm really excited for the future. And I am truly appreciative of each and every one of you who listen to the show. It really does mean a lot. I love you guys so much. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.